There's a word from the Lord in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to read from the New International Version, Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to read verse 13 and 14 to get us started here. Listen to what God's Word says in the 13th verse of the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. I want to preach about making the right moves. Making the right moves. We're dealing with this spiritual reset for our children, and our children are facing so much, millions of children in poverty because of the pandemic and uh, losing a year in terms of their educational development, the bullying that they have to put up with at school and online, just so many things going on. Children having to come to grips with the breakdown in their own families. What does that look like? What does that mean? What's happening with this? As so many of our children are depressed, more than 60% of them are in depression. And, um, and some are even having suicidal thoughts, and suicidal actions. And some of us are making moves. I got that. You're making moves. But are you making the right moves? That's what I want to preach about, making the right moves. It was in 1981, uh, Father George Clemens, Father Clemens in Chicago was the first priest to adopt a child. He adopted a son in 1981. He would adopt three more after that. He had four adoptive sons, a Catholic priest. And he started a program called One Church, One Child. In his mind, he was thinking, if we can get one family out of every church to adopt with the support of the church, that there would be no more children available for adoption. At the time, black children were the hardest ones to get adopted. And that one church, one child wasn't just in Chicago and Illinois. It began to spread different pockets throughout the country. And actually, it came to Indiana. We had something called Indiana, One Church, One Child. That was the first board I actually sat on, Indiana, One Church, One Child. And I was just trying to make sure people knew that black children were available and you can adopt them and families out of our church adopted and we came alongside them. And that's the first time I heard about home studies, that before an adoption agency or a state like the state of Indiana would allow a child into a life, into a family. They, they, the, the prospective uh, adoptive parent had to go through these home studies. So they'll go visit the house and check out the house and the neighborhood, look at the dynamic of the family, interview uh, friends, interview other family members, try to make sure this is a right fit for the child. They do background checks and criminal background checks and credit checks. They try to make sure that before we place a child in this home, we want to make sure it's the right fit. Now, if humanity will do that, think with me about deity doing that. 
If men and women know how to make sure it's a right fit before a child gets in a home, think about God who has only one begotten son who would be born of a virgin to come into this world. And God says, no, I'm going to do a home study first. I'm not just going to let my child, my son, be raised in any home. He wanted to make sure it was the right fit. Because you think about this, God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he gets ready, with whomever he please, and don't have to ask our opinion about it. Which means he could have chose any woman, any man, anywhere in the world, at any time in history, for his son to be in that family. But he made sure it was the right mother, a 15-year-old girl who had the favor of God on her, the intimacy with God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her. She was intimate with God's Holy Spirit, who would be filled with Jesus. And when the Lord asked her to do something, she was willing to say yes. That's the kind of mother that God wanted for his son. And then when he went to choose the father, the stepfather, the male role model in the home, we know Jesus is all God, but he's also all man. And as a boy growing up in that home, God said, I want my son to have the right male role model in the, in the family to understand what real manhood is all about. So he chose Joseph to be the stepfather. Chapter 1 in Matthew says Joseph was an upright and just man. He was, he was upright. He was in right relationship with God by faith. But he also understood how to relate to other people. He wanted justice for everybody else. He was a man that loved his wife, worked hard for his family to provide for them. This is the one God chose. And, and when Jesus was born, there was some unrest happening in Bethlehem because King Herod, this high-ranking government official, uh, set out to kill all the boys in Bethlehem who were two years and under because he had been hearing about this newborn king of the Jews, and he felt threatened. So he says, I'm going to take that boy out. But he didn't know which boy it was. So he just had all the boys in Bethlehem, two years and under, to be killed. And that's, that's when Joseph and Mary begin to make some moves because they understood that their son and stepson was an at-risk child. I wish I had hours to talk about this. We have at-risk children, y'all. Black and brown, living in America, with all the unrest that's happening with white supremacy and institutional racism and all the things that are going on. You talk about these mass shootings at schools and our children are at risk. And we need parents to start making the right moves in our children's lives. Well, preacher, then what, what do those right moves look like? Well, the first thing that Joseph and Mary did they listened and lived by the Word of God that God had for their child. They, they lived by and listened to the message that God had for their child. 
See, a lot of times we come to church and I'm like, yeah, pastor, I need a word today. I need a, I need a word. I got to get a word for myself today. And that's great. Praise God. You need a word for yourself. And I hope today is one of those days that you get a word for yourself. But you don't just need to get a word for yourself. You need a word for your son. You need a word for your daughter. You need a word for your child. You, we we got to make sure that we understand our responsibility as, past, as, as, as parents because here's the thing. Praise God, he has a word for our children. God has a message for our children. But he's placed the responsibility of getting that word to our children in the hands of the mothers and fathers. But we got to listen to and live by that word that God's given us for our children. Um, and, and that's, that's what I'm trying, that's what I, I that's what I want you to understand. Because some of us, we like, we like to hear the word, we just don't like doing the word. Oh, Y'all not saying amen because the angel, we read about the angel brought the word and the angel spoke to Joseph. Y'all, when you think about angel, stop thinking about creatures with wings. Stop that. When you think about an angel, think about a personality that spends time in the presence of God with the knowledge of God, willing to share it with the people of God. That's what an angel is. The Apostle John wrote that letter to the seven churches of Asia Minor. We call it the book of Revelation. And when he addressed the letters, he addressed the letters to the angels of the church, to the angel of the, angel of the church, not a winged creature, but to the pastors, to the ministers to those that spend time in God's presence, to those who understand the principles of God and willing to share those principles of God with the people of God. Those are the angels. And here comes this messenger speaking to the stepfather with a word for the child. And God has a word for your son and daughter too, but, but you got to be willing to hear what God is speaking for them all through Scripture it teaches us from Genesis to Revelation, all through Scripture, about the importance of parents getting God's Word to their children. In, in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says that you have to teach your children. Teach them. Yeah, he said teach them when they get up in the morning and then teach them when they go to bed at night. Teach them when the sun rises. Teach them when the sun goes down. He said teach them when they come in and then teach them before they get ready to go out because the importance of us getting that word across to our children. I'm talking about making the right moves. You got to listen and live by the word. In, in the book of Proverbs, the wisest man living dead or unborn is Solomon. And Solomon gives us all kind of word for our children. Here's what Solomon says in Proverbs, that disciplining your children will not kill them. I'm trying to get you to hear the word. He said that when you discipline your children, that discipline will not kill them. And he says in Proverbs, the parent that loves their children will discipline their children. Why do we have to discipline our children? Because the way children learn obedience is when there is a painful consequence to disobedience. So if you want to teach your child how to obey, when they disobey, have a painful consequence to that disobedience, next thing you know, they'll start living right. I wish I had some help in here. That's, that's how you learn it. If you just let them go, they, they, they'll never learn to obedience. And when you, when you discipline your children, it has to be 
uh, fair, firm, and consistent. Fair, firm, and consistent. Yeah, you can't, they disobey, and then you discipline them this time. Then the next three or four times, you don't do nothing, you don't say nothing, just let them, whatever. And then on the sixth time, you, you give them, you discipline them again. Then you let it go. No, it has to be fair and firm and consistent. I know y'all ain't going to shout off this, but it'll help you if you apply it to your family. And then he says this in Proverbs. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they get old, they will not depart from it. Listen to what it says. Raise a child, bring up a child in the way they should go, not in the way you wish you had gone. Some of us are raising our children in the way we wish we had gone. So I, you know, I, I, I wanted to be a, a reporter and, and it never happened. I wanted to be a professional athlete. It didn't take, I wanted to be a public servant and, and a great politician and that didn't happen. I wanted to be an educator and this stuff never happened in my life. So now I'm going to make sure my child, no, no, no. Don't bring them up in the way you wish you had gone. Bring them up in the way they should go. They're not here by accident. They're here by intent. God intentionally placed your child in this world. He sanctified your child even before they came out of the womb. He already has a purpose for them. Help them to find the purpose that God has set them apart for, for, for and raise them in the way they should go. And when they get old, they won't depart from it. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to always follow it. It just means they'll never forget it. Amen, Pastor. Okay, y'all don't, don't like Old Testament. New Testament, I'm talking about listening to and living by the word God gives for your child. New Testament, Ephesians 6, uh, it, it, King James Version. Fathers, uh, bring up a child in the admonition and the way of the Lord. It, it's really saying parents, mothers and fathers, bring up a child in the admiration uh, and instruction, the direction for the child. Because we know now that when they get old, they, they won't always follow it, but they'll never forget it. And this is what he's talking about with this word for our children and making sure that we're passing it on to them. Now, I, I should have said this at the onset of the message because some of us thinking, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't have any children and I don't ever plan to have any children. And he's up here preaching about children. Because when I talk about our children, notice I'm, I'm not just saying your children, I'm saying our children. Because I'm not just talking about mothers and fathers raising children and having a word from God for the children. Not just mothers and fathers, but grandmothers and grandfathers, uncles and aunts, big brothers and big sisters, educators, pastors, neighbors. All of these are our children. We've been so influenced by this individualistic and this, this personally understanding theology that we always think is just for us. No, these are all of our children. We cut the ribbon. We had the ribbon cutting ceremony to the Rock uh, Community Center for Children and Youth. And, and we had all kind of representatives in there. But I, I was brought to tears because I was looking around in the room and, and the principal for, from Sankofa School of Success uh, Coach Henderson, Principal Henderson, she was there. She spoke, 
and then uh, Mayotte Lands, the principal for Rudy School of Indianapolis that meets on our, on our property, she said something. So I'm listening to these educators. Then preachers were getting up saying stuff. And I thought about in my own life, I was standing in that community center, I thought about in my own life, the reason I became a Christian, the reason I got saved, the reason why I, I know what real manhood looks like, the reason why I, I got on the journey to a successful life, it's because of educators, preachers, and coaches. I, my, my mother was a great mother, but she didn't do it by herself. She did the best she could with us, but then it was educators and preachers and coaches and neighbors and family and uncles and aunts, and I know I'm not by myself in here. These are our children. And somebody's saying, well, preacher, I get that, but I, I, I need you to understand, I want to have children, I just don't have any now. Why do I have to hear this now? Because the word God gave for the child we're talking about in this text with these parents, he didn't wait till the baby was conceived or till the baby was born before they got a word for the child. That's going to be a little bit too late. You got to start listening before you conceive that child. Okay, y'all. A messenger came to Mary and said, uh, the Holy Spirit, you found favor with God. Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you, and you will conceive the Son of God, which means she hasn't. Here is the messenger giving her a word from God for her child that she ain't even pregnant yet. And then when she got pregnant, the messenger went to Joseph, the would-be stepfather, and said, do not divorce this woman. Do not walk away from her. You stay with Mary because who's inside of her is the Son of God. That's a word from God for the child even before the child is born. Here's, here's the second thing I want y'all to get. You want to make the right moves, you got to start early. So you get this word and you're hearing what God has to say. But y'all, you got to start early with our children. You, you can't wait till you get pregnant. You can't wait till you give birth. And you sure can't wait till they become a teenager. Somebody ought to help me with this. You got to start early. That's why it says in the King, let me go King James Version on you, Matthew 2 and 13. Take the young child and his mother. Take the young child. Y'all, Jesus is about two years old here because Herod has heard this rumor for two years that there's a newborn king. So he, that's why he's going after boys two years and under because the parents are starting young with him because the enemy comes at them when they're young. Uh, there's a young, young man in our church. He and his wife, she got pregnant for the first time, and they, they were going to have their first child together. They already knew it was a boy. They were so excited. They walked up on me, big old smile on their face, and they were excited. I got excited with them because I, I know what it's like to have a son. Matter of fact, my greatest Father's Day present ever uh, was my number two, Jordan, was born one day before Father's Day. And so I know what it's like to have a son. And so I got excited with the young man. Here's what he said to me. He said, Pastor, I can't wait for my son to turn 13. I can't wait for him to be a teenager because then we can start hanging out together. So I asked him, who's supposed to hang out with him for the first 12 years of his life? You can't wait till your children are teenagers before you start listening to the Word of God, living in a planet, you got to go after them early because the enemy comes after our children early. 
Haven't you noticed that the thieves are getting younger and younger? Haven't you noticed the crooks are getting younger and younger? Haven't you noticed that gang members are getting younger and younger? That addicts are getting younger and younger? That alcoholics are getting younger and younger? It's because the enemy goes after our children early. And here we're trying to wait till they're teenagers. No, the right move is to go after them early. And that's what's happening here. We, you, and, and the reason why the enemy is going after them early because the enemy is trying to take them out before they know who they are. Um, Moses, when, when Moses was born, that's when Pharaoh was having all the Hebrew boys uh, destroyed, throwing them in the Nile River and killing them, right? And Moses' mother, the Bible says, she hid him for three months. And she hid him for three months because she didn't want them to know she had a, a, a son in the house. And then the Bible says, but when he got too big to hide, that's when she made that took that basket and made it waterproof, put it in the Nile. So he's now selling through what other people are sinking in, right? But I'm trying to show you how early the enemy went after Moses. Because if he could have taken Moses out when he was three months, he wouldn't have had to deal with him when he was a grown man at the Red Sea, opening that Red Sea and bringing deliverance for two million people. Jesus is two years and under. Why is the enemy going after him early? Because if he can take Jesus out when he's two, he doesn't have to deal with him when he's 33, dying on the cross for the, to save the world. Even now, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He tries to take him out early. He's going after your children and mine, trying to take them out. Here's the thing. I, there's some young person listening to me right now, and you're trying to figure out, why does the enemy have a full court press on me? I'm you, you, you struggling in life trying to get things together and you're under all this pressure that the enemy is putting on you. You're wondering, why is he coming after me so early in my life? Because the enemy has a sense of how great you can be. <laughs> the enemy has a sense of the potential and the possibility that you have. And so he's trying to take you out before you know it. Right now, you're struggling with your faith and Christianity and who's the Holy Spirit. You're trying to figure out where the book of Genesis is and my purpose in life. And, and so the enemy trying to take you out now because once you know who you are, once you know the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you can operate in the gifts of the Spirit, once you know that you're a child of God made after the image of God himself, not even the devils in hell are going to be able to stop you. We got to go after our children early, y'all. We got to go after them early. It's, it, it's, uh, it, it, that's why we have to change the environment that our children are. Our children are at-risk children. So we have to change that environment that they're in for their betterment. Preacher, what do you mean by that? Harris trying to kill all the children two years and under. And so here comes that messenger saying, uh, Joseph, uh, you need to take the young child and his mother and head on over into it. You need to change environments because what's happening in this home right now, your son ain't going to make it if you don't change environments. Y'all got to get this. Um, you, he made moves in his son's life to get him to a place of safety, security, 
and sustainability. Otherwise, he's not going to make it. He's an at-risk child. You think if Jesus is an at-risk child, your child ain't? Because I already know. I already know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, you know, pastor, I, I, I'm in a, this is a two-parent household, and um, we, we love God. Me and my spouse, we love the Lord, and we got faith. And uh, so it's, this is a little different from, from other people's family. Y'all, I know you live in the suburbs. I get it. These parents of two-year-old Jesus, that was a two-parent household. They loved the Lord. They had faith in a right relationship with God. They had the favor of God in their life. And y'all, they didn't, they didn't live in the inner city of Jerusalem. They lived in a suburb called Bethlehem. But there was still an at-risk child because a system and policies had been put in place to try to take that child out. So they said, we're going to change this environment to make sure we give our child a chance to make. And they did it. They did it physically and geographically making the changes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritually, uh, ethically, morally, making the changes in your house to make sure you get that straight. It's Juneteenth, so let me throw this Juneteenth situation into this Father's Day message. When God got ready uh, to relocate his son to a place of safety, security, and sustainability, he moved him into a black neighborhood. When God got ready to move his son into a place where he could be cared for and make it, he moved him around black people. Take the child and his mother, go to Egypt. Okay, y'all, y'all do know Egypt. That's the African continent. E Egypt, Egypt was in Africa in the first century when Jesus walked on this earth in the flesh. And, and Egypt is in Africa in the 21st century when you and I walking around. And God said, I need to keep him safe. So I'm going to put him somewhere where he can hide. That's why they went to Egypt to hide. That's why God didn't send them to Europe. Because if he sent them to Europe, they couldn't hide Jesus. As soon as he get there, they're going to look and say, oh, that's the one Herod is after. Because he don't look like them in Europe. He doesn't have blonde flowing hair and blue eyes and pale white skin. His skin is like polished brass. His hair is like lamb's wool. We got to take him somewhere. He's going to blend in. Put him out there with all those black folk over in black Africa. They're changing that environment for them. Yo, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, ethically, we, we got to get the environments right in our house. We let a lot of stuff in our homes that shouldn't be in our homes. New television and movies and social media, computers, the internet, a lot of stuff coming at home. Y'all ain't saying amen to this. There's some stuff getting in there that shouldn't get in there. And I know what some of us are thinking. Well, preacher, I don't have to worry about that because my, my, my children are young. So even though this stuff is here, it, it, it ain't bothering them. No, it is bothering them. Um, because when you talk about formative years of children from zero to five, the formative years, 
Children learn more in the first five years of their life than they learn at any other period of time in their life. 90% of brain development is in the first five years of a child's life. 85% of intellect is set in place within the first five years. That's why we talk about the importance of early, of early education. Because, y'all, the first five years makes a big difference. The first five years of their life, 85% of their personality is in place now. And 85% of their social skills are in place. You got to be careful what you're exposing them to early in their life and in that home because it does impact them. Psychologists tell us that all the decisions that you and I make as adults, all of all the choices we make as adults, all of our behavior in adulthood comes from our exposure and experience that we had in our childhood. That's why some of us are nuts right now. It's not something that happened two weeks ago. No, something that happened in our childhood. We got exposed to some crazy stuff, and we haven't quite been able to deal with it, and now we're making some ugly choices. That's what I'm trying to get across. Change that environment in that home. You got you to gotta make sure you get that right, and you get it right early because it is making a difference in the life of that child. You, this, is, this is, I'm talking about prenatal care. You know, when you get pregnant, sisters, y'all, you got prenatal. You're going back and forth to the doctor. They, they telling you, don't, make sure you're not smoking, make sure you're not drinking. That's prenatal care. Here are your, your vitamins and here are your nutrients. You got to watch what you eat because uh, this is prenatal care, ultrasound, all that. Yo, there are, there are, uh, there's a, a spiritual prenatal care that what we do with these babies that are still in the womb, it, spiritually, it makes a difference. I'll do it like this. I'll do it like this. When Sharon, each time Sharon, my wife, Lady Sharon was pregnant, each time she would spend time reading the Bible out loud because Sharon was convinced if I read this Bible, I read this, rip, this scripture, this word out loud, it's going to impact the baby while the baby is still in the womb. It's spiritual prenatal care. And on each of my sons, when they were still in the womb, I laid my hands on Lady Sharon's womb and I prayed for our children that they would be saved and delivered and they become the men. God want them to, I wish I had somebody that understands the importance of spiritual prenatal care. Some of y'all going, well, Pastor, you know what? That really don't make a difference. Okay, all my children are saved. All of them got the Holy Spirit in them. All of them connected to the church. And all of them seeking God on what they need to be doing in their life. It may not make a difference to you, but it makes a difference to those that understand spiritual prenatal care. What kind of moves we ought to be making? What are the right moves to make? Be careful how you treat the other parent. Okay, four amens, four amens. That's okay, I take the four. Be careful how you treat the other parent because the way you treat the other parent is going to impact your child. It's in the text, verse 13, the messenger of God told the stepfather, take the young child and his mother, go on over into Egypt because there are those who want to take the young child 
but not the mother. Then you got others that want to take the mother, but not the young child. And let me just say to single sisters who already have children, and you know, you checking some dude out, he checking you out, and you thinking this may be long-term and you know, all that kind of stuff. You need to check about what he thinks about your children. Because if he's trying to take the mother and not the young child, that ain't the man for you. Because if he, y'all ain't saying amen. If that's the man for you, he doesn't just want you, he wants your children with you. And we got to be careful how we treat the other parent. It impacts your child. So you have a father who um, gets, his, gets his children uh, every other weekend. Every other weekend, his children come and stay with him from Friday to Sunday evening. And so for two and a half days, he's throwing shade at their mom. They got to hear all this negative stuff about their mother. Your mother ain't this, your mother ain't that, and your mother's messed up. If she wasn't crazy, we'd still be together. Your mother this, she's mean and evil. That, bit, that boy got to hear that, that girl got to hear that. For two and a half days, then the father drops them back off on Sunday. Now the mother got them for two weeks before she take them back over there. And for two weeks, they got to hear the mother talking about how bad the father is. Your father's a cheat. He's a lie. He's still, if he had some sense, we'd still be together. But that, you think that's not impacting that child? That is impacting that child. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm trying to be helpful. I grew up in a broken home. I'm the youngest of four children. And my, my mother told me this when I was an adult. She told me that, my, my father and my mother, she said, they divorced when I was eight years old. She's telling me this because I, I thought it was earlier than that. I thought it was like when I was six. She said, no, Jeffrey, you were eight. I'm like, well, he wasn't here from six to eight, so I thought y'all were divorced. But she said, no, we got divorced when I was eight. I got two older brothers and a sister. I cannot remember one time then my mother said something negative about my father. And believe me, she had plenty of material. <laughs> she had a lot of material that she could have used to talk about negative things in regard to my father. But I can't remember not one time. I mean, he wasn't there for us. He never picked us up. He never paid child support. He never showed up for a football game, basketball game, but nothing, nothing. He never heard me preach. And, uh, and so, my, but my mother never said anything there because in my mom's mind, you're going to mature, you're going to grow up, and you'll find out about your father then. She didn't want to mess me up with all that negative stuff about him. Matter of fact, I didn't even find out about my father from my mother. I found out about my father from the temptations. They said, Papa was a rolling stone. Wherever he laid his hat was his home. And when he died, all he left us was alone because mother didn't want to mess us up. Be careful how you treat the other parent. I'm going to show you how significant this is. You're talking about a home study, why God chose Joseph and Mary for this? It's in the middle of the night, Matthew chapter 2. It's in the middle of the night. He sleep. He dreams. It's a messenger from God. Here's what the messenger said. Said that some are trying to kill your son. You need, you need to get that boy over into Africa. You need to move. And in the middle of the night, Joseph rolls over, wakes up Mary, the mother, says, get up, let's get packed, 
we get ready to move. We're going to move out of Israel, and we're going to move into Egypt. So I need you to get packed, and, and, and let's get this stuff on the donkey, and then you grab the baby, and let's go. You know what Mary did? She woke up, started packing, put that stuff on the donkey, grabbed that baby, jumped on that donkey, and they went on to, to Africa. Okay, y'all not saying this. Okay, let's try it with you. It's in the middle of the night. You have a vision from God. The Lord speaks to you about relocating your family out of the country. You roll over in the middle of the night. You wake your wife up and say, get up, get packed, grab the baby. We're heading out of the country. We're moving. For some of us, our wives would have said, moving? Where are we going? I like where we are now. I ain't leaving Israel. You can go, but I ain't going, and the baby ain't going either. And why are you telling me this in the middle of the night? You could have woke me up in the morning and told me you didn't have to do it. But here are parents that understand the treatment of the other parent shapes the mind of your children on how they're going to relate to somebody else later on. And the reason why Mary didn't have an issue with this, Mary's got a man who has a right relationship with God. He appreciates justice. He loves her. He works hard to provide for the family. So when he said, we need to go, she said, okay. Because some of us think submission and submit we think those are bad words. Ephesians 5, wives submit unto your husband as unto the Lord. And we think submit is a bad word. And submit is not a bad word. Now, some of us have the bad use of it because we don't know what submit means. We think submit means obey. Submit doesn't mean obey. Otherwise, Paul would have said, wives, obey your husband. He didn't say that. He says, submit to your... It, it, it's a military term he's using as an illustration on how to have order in a family. The reason why we have order in the military is because they submit. You have a corporal that submits to the sergeant. You have a private that submits to the corporal. And because they learn how to submit, now there's order. And the reason why so many of us have no kind of order in our families is because we won't submit. Okay, I'm one amen that time. I'm getting worse and worse up here. That, that's because I quoted, I quoted uh, Ephesians 5 and 25, 5 and 22, 5 and 22, wives submit to you. Right before that verse, it says submitting one to another. Go back and reread it. I know you know what 22 says, but... What does verse 21 say before that? I don't know. Yeah, you know why I submit to you up. It says submitting one to another. Submitting one to another. That's why in a healthy marriage, sometimes the husband is submitting, sometimes the wife is submitting. It just depends on what's going on in that situation. There are times I submit to Lady Sharon, and I submit to her, because she's more knowledgeable in certain areas and she's definitely more sensitive and, and, and she has an understanding. And so I, I, I submit, I give, so we can have some order. There are times that Lady Sharon submits to me. Here's the areas that I know how to do. So she submits to me. And the reason why 
she doesn't have a problem submitting to me is because I got a relationship with God. I'm trying to get justice for everybody else. I love my wife. And I work hard to provide for my, but y'all, all right, I'll do it like this. Let me do it like this. Um, oh, everybody that went through the premarital class here, you already know where to say amen with this. Oh, in, in premarital class at East Star Church, here's one of the things that we talk about. It was in Washington, D.C., this mother eagle, she lays her eggs, and after she lays her eggs, a blizzard hits Washington, D.C., a blizzard. Freezing rain, snow, sleet, all kind of, it just minus zero with the windshield. Fire. It was terrible. But that mother eagle refused to leave her children. So she's in the nest covering her children. Here comes the father eagle, and he wraps himself around the mother eagle who is wrapped around the baby eaglets. She didn't kick him out of the nest because she doesn't mind being covered by somebody that will help this family through the storm. Somebody that'll watch over me and keep me while I'm trying to help raise these. Do I have a witness in there? That's what submission is all about. Why would you not want to submit to somebody that loves God, loves you? Submits to the Lord and you, you don't know. You got to be careful in your treatment of the other parent. Now, let, let me get, let me rush on to this. And that is, y'all, the right moves have to be made even in difficult times. No matter how challenging it gets with raising your children. I have four adult sons and people you <laughs> still do walk up to me, tell, tell me about their, they have one son. And they tell, oh, pastor, he's this, he's that, oh, pastor, he's such a child. Oh, different. I said, okay, you got one son and you, you're going through all that. Yes, multiply that times four. That's what I'm dealing with. But I didn't walk away because of the challenge. I didn't leave because it was hard. Matter of fact, nobody told you it, it was going to be easy. We told you it was going to be hard. You didn't listen to the angel. You didn't listen to the messenger. Now you're in this situation. Don't give up on your children because it's hard and difficult. All of us as parents have gone through that in order to get our children to where they need to be. And I know you're thinking, well, Pastor, we're talking about Jesus in this home. Yeah, we are talking about Jesus in this home. And you think because this is the Son of God, full of grace and truth, that they didn't have any challenges. They did have challenges. From the time Jesus was conceived, they had challenges with this boy. Because when, when he was conceived and, and Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant and Joseph knew he and Mary had not had intercourse and then they were having some discussion about what went down and he knew the baby wasn't his because we never had intercourse. And she said, well, this is God's baby. Okay, I'm trying to show you the challenge they had. Let your woman that you with right now, y'all ain't never had intercourse, come up pregnant, and then y'all talk about it, and she blame it on God. What you thinking right now is what Joseph was thinking back then. This boy was a challenge from the time he was conceived. This is a teenage girl, 15 years old, who is not married. King James, they're betrothed to be married. That means the commitment is beyond the commitment of being engaged in our time. It's beyond that, but still not quite married. And, and, and so she's a, she's a single woman, 15 years old, and no husband. 
the stigma that came up. I'm trying to show you the challenge they had. You can't look at this through the lens of the 21st century. In the 21st century, there are single women who have children, and they don't even want the father in their life. So you, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the first century. Here's a teenage girl living in Israel in a small town. I lived in a small town, in a small town where everybody spreads everybody's business over in Nazareth. And here she is pregnant. This boy has been a challenge from the time he got. You want to, I'm going to show you what kind of stigma that was. Jesus started his earthly ministry when he was 30. He went all over Israel preaching and teaching. Then he came back to Nazareth, one of the places he had spent time as a youngster. And he was so awesome in the synagogue and preaching and teaching. He preached with so much authority. Here's what they said in Nazareth. Isn't that Mary's son? Isn't that Mary's son? You know, they're trying to throw shade at Mary and Joseph. Hebrew children are not identified by their mothers. They're always identified by their fathers. Son of Abraham son of Isaac, sons of Jacob, sons of Zebedee. And then they talking about, isn't that Mary's son? That's that stigma that she had to carry all of those years because he was a challenge from the very time she conceived him. Matter of fact, all those moves that they made, that was all because of that baby. Even when the baby was born, remember Jesus, when he was born, he wasn't born in Jerusalem Mercy Hospital in some maternity award. He was born outdoors in a stable. And then they didn't wrap him in a beautiful quilt made by his grandmother. They wrapped him in, in strips of cloth. They didn't lay him in a hand-carved crib. They laid him in an eating trough. What do you think a manger is? He's been troubled. This, this has been a challenge since he got here. And now they got to make all these moves. They, they had to move uh, to, to Bethlehem. Then they had to move from Bethlehem all the way over into Egypt. Then they had to move from Egypt to come back and, and live in Nazareth. All of that was done because of this boy. But they didn't give up. And they didn't throw in the towel. And they didn't hold up the white flag of surrender. Do not give up on your children. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You hang on in there no matter how difficult it gets. Because that, that leads me to this. And then I'm done. That leads me to this because our children have the potential and the possibility to become any and everything. There is nothing that our children can't do. There's nothing that they cannot accomplish. I don't care how rough a start it is. I don't care what the challenge is. What God has for our children is for our children. God knows how to make things happen to get them to where they need to be. The potential and the possibility is there. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Somebody ought to be saying amen to this. Because remember when they sent, I'm talking about Juneteenth. I didn't even know what Juneteenth was until I was 18 years old. I was a student at Bishop College in Dallas, Texas, and everybody kept asking me, are you going to the Juneteenth celebration? Are you going to the fairground for the Juneteenth celebration? I'm like, man, what is Juneteenth? I had never heard of it. And then we know, I knew about the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 when Abraham Lincoln signed those papers to set slaves free in America. I knew about that. I always know that's January 1st. That's why we have all across this nation, black churches have watch night service on the last day of the year because black slaves were watching to see if we're going to be free in the morning. That's why we have watch night services to see what Abraham Lincoln was going to do. He signed those papers in 1863 in January, but word didn't get to the slaves in Texas until uh, 1865. 
Some say it was January 19, 1865. That's two and a half years later that those black slaves in Texas had to stay in slavery even though the rest of the nation knew slaves had been set free. This is a messed up country. This nation is messed up. And when you talk about Juneteenth, when, when black slaves tried to run away for freedom, they would send white police officers to go after the black slaves trying to run away for freedom and bring them back. That's why stop being shocked when you see these, not all of them, but these messed up mentality of white police officers who go after black people who are unarmed and haven't done anything, ending up killing them, and then there's no consequence to that. That's been going on in America for a long time. And the reason why we don't know about that, because look, they have made Juneteenth a national holiday. And the same people that made it a national holiday or trying to make it a law that you can't teach it. Because once you know the truth, the truth is going to set you free. I can't get no help in here. Preach, Pastor Johnson. I am preaching. You don't know what your children are going to become. Don't you give up on them. When they saved Jesus when he was two, Jesus at 33 came back and saved them. That's what happened when he died on the cross. He brought salvation to the world. His mama was at the cross. She saved him when he was a baby. She, he saved her when he became an adult. You don't know what God is going to do with your children. When they sent the, and I'm trying to close it. When they sent the military police into Bethlehem to kill all the boys two years and under, Herod was only after one boy. Why is he killing so many boys if you only after one? Because they couldn't go to Bethlehem, look and tell which one of these boys is the one born king of the Jews. All of them had kingly potential. You can't come to our community and look at our boys and tell which one's going to be victorious and which one's going to be prosperous and which one's going to turn this nation around. All of them got kingly potential. You can't come to our neighborhood and look at our girls and determine which one going to be the doctor, which one going to be the pastor, who's going to be the senator, which one the president. All of them got the potential. Do I have a witness in here? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm going to give y'all this last illustration and I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm not sorry I held y'all long because it is Father's Day. Thank you for my five-minute gift of preaching longer on Father's Day. But... I want to close it with this about the possibility and potential with our children so you don't give up. There's a member of our church, and, um, and matter of fact, she was just at the last service out of Cooper Road, Dr. Kim McElroy Jones. Dr. Kim McElroy, we call her Dr. Kim, affectionately call her Dr. Kim. Dr. Kim recently wrote a book called I Cannot Tell It All, From Rejection to Redemption. That's what she called it. Cannot Tell It All, From Rejection to Redemption. And she talks about one of the things she talks about in the book, she says her messed up childhood, that dysfunctional, dysfunctional family and childhood she had to deal with. How hurtful it was emotionally, psychologically, and, and times physically. She talks about when she was born that her mom was 15 years old. And after giving birth at 15, unwed, that her grandparents told her mother, you can't keep this baby. You got, you got to put this baby up for adoption. This is the rejection she's talking about. And she said that her mother 
and her grandparents took her down to an adoption agency and left her. Because the grandparents said, listen, you're a teenager. The boy won't, doesn't have anything to do with this baby anyway. You don't have a job. You don't have resources. You don't know what to do. We're going to take that baby to this adoption agency and, and, and dropped her off and left her there. At the adoption agency, they loved on her and they nurtured her and they cared for her and they, they sought to get her a, a home. But it takes a while to do those home studies and to find uh, some parents that will want her. Even, I mean, there's a black baby. And so uh, time passed and Kim said she don't know how long it was. But Kim said her grandparents changed their mind. And they took the mother and said, you, okay, we're going to go get this baby. Whatever challenge it is, we're going to deal with it. So they go back to the adoption agency. They, had, they hadn't found a home for her. So they release Kim back to her mother that she says is a dysfunctional family. It's messed up and all this. And she said it was probably better if they had left me at the adoption agency. This is, I'm not, Kim is saying this. And, and Kim said her whole life was messed up because of that, the way she was thinking the way she was living, the way she was behaving emotionally. She said she was so messed up until at Easter Star Church, she gave her life to Christ. She heard about Jesus Christ, how he can save and he can deliver. She believed he died on the cross and raised from dead. That's the redemption, the rejection. Her mother left her at an adoption agency. The redemption, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. She said once she gave her life to Jesus, her whole life turned around. And Kim ended up getting filled with the Spirit Matter of fact, had a call on her life to preach. She finished her bachelor's degree, and then she finished her master's degree. Then she got her PhD. Then she got her doctorate of ministry. She got two doctors. Well, some of y'all ain't impressed with nothing. She got two doctors earned from rejection to redemption. She ends up being a board of director for the adoption agency that kept her where she had been rejected. The same adoption agency that loved on her, nurtured her, and took care of her, she sits on the board now to help other children to have the same thing. They saved her when she was a baby. She's come back to save them now when she's an adult. You don't know what God is going to do with your child. Jesus loves all the little children, all the little children of the world, red, yellow, black, brown, or white. They're all precious in his sight. Do I have a witness in here? He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got you and me, brother, in his hand. He's got you and me, sister, in his hand. And thank God he's got the little bitty baby in his hands. Somebody shout, yes, he does.